This is The Guardian. Today, a Guardian investigation into what young people say has been going on behind the doors of a controversial evangelical church. Before we begin, this episode does contain discussions around mental health and a mention of suicidal thoughts. Maeve McLennigan is an investigations correspondent for The Guardian. Once upon a time, she lived in Finsbury Park in North London. And every now and again, she would pass a building opposite her gym. It was an old theatre, this imposing art deco structure always buzzing with people, coming and going, and it intrigued her. Now, this is a huge venue. Supposedly, it's a place where Jimi Hendrix first burnt his guitar, and now it was a church. So I thought that was quite interesting. And one day I noticed that the theatre was covered with these signs, this Dove and Heart logo, which was the UCKG. The UCKG, the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God. An evangelical church with its origins in Brazil and branches around the world. And this huge old theatre building in Finsbury Park was now its UK headquarters. Internationally, the church has really made headlines. But there hasn't been a huge amount written about their presence here in the UK. For a while, Maeve didn't think too much more about it. Until... One day in December 2021, I got this email out of the blue. The email was from somebody called Rachel, a former member of the church's youth wing. She said she wanted to sit down with a journalist and talk about what she says goes on behind the church's doors. That interview was the first step in what has now become a major reporting project. So for the past year, I've been talking to former members of the church's youth wing, which is called the Victory Youth Group, or VYG. I've spoken to more than 35 former members of that group, all from different branches, about 15 different branches in all. And they attended at different periods, so starting from 2003 and some people who are still there right up to this year. In those interviews... Maeve would hear stories of dozens of teenagers feeling pressured to donate large amounts of money. Others feeling encouraged to cut ties with friends and family, or being told demonic possession was the cause of mental health issues or their sexuality. And many are left with an overriding feeling that even as they have now begun to speak out, nobody is really listening. From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Ekbal. Today in Focus, the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God. Maeve, until we began working on this story, I'd never heard of the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God, the UCKG. And I have walked past that building in North London so many times, and now I look at it and I've got all these questions. Firstly, where did it even come from? The UCKG is completing 40 years of existence and the church has a lot of history to tell. 
The UCKG first started in Brazil back in the 70s, and it was founded by this guy called Adil Macedo. At the beginning, Bishop Macedo was just a pastor with a Bible and a handful of people inside a bandstand. It has been a daily battle to spread God's word since then. It's an evangelical church. It's born out of the Pentecostal tradition. These days, they say they have a presence in more than 100 countries around the world. Nine million members count their blessings with stories of transformation, healing, prosperity, love life and deliverance. It started here in the UK around the mid-90s and there was about 50 different branches in different places all across the UK now. But back in 2006, a 13-year-old girl called Rachel found herself walking into one of them. Can you tell me about Rachel then? How was she drawn to this particular church? She says she was just walking down her high street one day in London and somebody stopped her and gave her a leaflet and said, why didn't you come along to this church? Now, she says she'd never heard of it before, but the leaflet said it was a universal church of the kingdom of God. And they've got this group where they'll be singing and dancing and all kinds of youth activities. And, you know, Rachel said she's quite interested in that sort of thing. So she was intrigued and she thought she'd go along. When you go there initially, it's very positive. It's very energetic. It appears to be very youth driven. So you think, OK, this is a good place. She said it was really, really welcoming. And when she first went there, there was all these youth events at the youth group and it was really fun. But then she says she started being asked to attend more and more often, you know, to go both to the youth group and also to church services. So you go on Wednesday to the youth group and then they're like, well, we have a service in the evening. So why don't you stay, you know, to get closer to God? It's like, okay, fine. And then they're like, oh, you should come on Friday. You should definitely come on Saturdays to do rehearsals and get ready for the youth group. And it's like, well, you have to come on Sundays. You know, you have to come to the service and you have to come to the youth group and then you go. And then it's like, well, you should definitely come tomorrow, Monday to pray for your finances. Rachel says that as the months went by, as she spent more and more time at the church, she felt herself changing. I was completely just a shadow of my former self. I was extremely conservative. Um, I stopped listening to circular music. I stopped swearing. I was dressing very conservatively. And every day, pretty much after school, I was in the church. And as she became more devout, Rachel says she felt she started to get more recognition there's a lot of hierarchy, so there's lots of different positions and lots of different titles, and I worked on my way up the ladder quite quick. And it's seen as a great honour. You know, the higher you get in the church, it's like, wow, they must be really close to God. You know, they're a woman of God, they're a man of God. Rachel was 13 when she first joined. Not long after that, she was promoted up the ranks of the church from an ordinary member to a youth leader. And then when she was 15 she was offered the chance to be what is called an assistant. An unusually young age to be given this honour. But that would mean buying the assistant's uniform. The UCKG assistant uniform is like one of the big things within the church. It's very iconic. Um, Every assistant in every country would have a uniform. And it's funny because with the female assistants, they have to wear a uniform that's very similar to an air stewardess uniform. It would be the shoes, you would have to wear the skirt, the top, the blazer, the um, the scarf. 
my uniform cost over 300 pounds and I remember begging my mum for the uniform because they make it like the ultimate reward you know for an assistant to wear their uniform it's like a badge of honour so at the time I didn't even consider that it was extortionate because it's nothing special it's over 300 pounds it's quite expensive but because I was just so determined to be an assistant and just reach this position within the church I begged my mum and my mum saw how kind of desperate and how much I wanted it so she came up with the money and I paid for the uniform. Maeve, Rachel was made an assistant at the age of 15. What did she say that that actually meant for her life and for her responsibilities within the church? So being an assistant meant that she was really needed at the church regularly. Um, she would get calls when she was at school, she says, when she was at home, telling her, we need you to come to this service. We need you to kind of stand along the side or be there to help collect donations or be there when there's the prayers happening. And according to Rachel, that included assisting the pastors in a process within the church that they called strong prayers or deliverance. So Rachel and a lot of the other young people that I spoke to um, described them as exorcisms, but the church would adamantly say that they weren't. They say the Roman Catholic Church holds exorcisms, the Church of England does, but what they do, they say, is praying for, quote, spiritual cleansing from all negativity. They pray for you to basically be delivered from demons that's responsible for your problems. And um, in the church, this is a big part of the UCKG ideology, um, so much so that they dedicate Fridays to strong prayers. They would get the assistants to go around and speak to all the members and kind of find out what their vulnerabilities were. So they'll say, you know, what problem are you facing? What's the worst problem you're facing? And then you'll tell them, um, I don't know, insomnia, I have immigration problems. And they'll be like, oh, okay, God will deliver you tonight. So you're like, okay. And then when, you know, the pastor kind of starts the ritual and says, you know, close your eyes, put your hands on your heart. He says, focus on your problem. You know, focus on your worst problem. What's the worst thing you're going through? You know, focus on it. Think about it. And then what happens is the assistants and pastors will basically go around the church. They'll pick someone and they will lay their hands on your head. So one hand on your head and one hand behind your back. And then what they'll do is they'll start to whisper in your ear and say, you know, the demon that's causing her to not sleep at night. Manifest. Show yourself. Yes, the demon that's making her heart beat faster. You're making her feel hot. You're making her feel sweaty. I know you're there. Manifest. Show yourself. And then, you know, you start to hear people screaming at that point. Literally, it's almost within maybe five minutes, you'll see people starting to scream. And what happens is it's almost like they put you under some kind of trance because you hear other people screaming and you hear the person in your ear saying, okay, manifest, yes, you're there, you're making her heart beat faster. So then you think, okay, so that must be the demon because yeah, my heart's beating faster. Not realizing that of course your heart's beating faster. You're in a strange environment. You know, you don't know what's going on, your adrenaline's going. And then what they do is they actually put you in a headlock 
So a part of you is trying to get out of the headlock and a part of you is like, maybe this is what I need to do to be delivered from that demon that's causing my immigration problems. And then you start to go along with it and then it gets more intense, the prayers. They're like, yes, manifest, burn. God, send fire to burn this demon. And you're screaming and you're rolling around and it's a whole thing. So former members told me that the church had this rule that strong prayers couldn't be performed on anyone under 16, but the church didn't respond to my questions about that. Still, I heard claims that these strong prayers were happening in the youth group itself, and that even when people under 16 weren't having it done to them, they were still witness to it. And I spoke to multiple people who claimed that they'd had strong prayers performed on them directly when they were as young as 14. So if the idea is that demons are causing the problems in young people's lives, what kinds of problems did the people you spoke to say that these deliverance prayers were supposed to be solving? So I spoke to more than a dozen different people that told me they'd seen or heard that demonic possession was the cause of being gay or lesbian or trans. Hi, my name is Joshua. I'm 16 and... um... So one of the people I spoke to, we're calling Joshua, though that's not his real name, um, and he was on the way to school when I was talking to him. Very young. I attended when I was between the ages from 13 up until 15. So I remember I was around 13, 14. It was close to my um, 14th birthday, and one of the assistants asked to have a conversation with me. And she asked me what was going on and what was like wrong with me. And I told her how I was feeling and I told her the truth about my um, sexuality. And she said, oh, it was caused by a demon and how I'm demon possessed and how if I continue living this life, I will go to hell. In that moment, I felt very, I felt alone and I felt very, I felt very like, not accepted like church is supposed to be a place where you would be accepted no matter what according to their preachings and their beliefs but it felt the complete opposite so joshua says that the assistant said he needed to have deliverance prayers done to cast out this demon that was supposedly causing his homosexuality i was very scared i felt very very scared and i just wanted it to stop and if I wanted to say something, but I wasn't able to, it made me feel very confused. Like I began to have doubt. I began to um. I began to feel very. I won't use the word depressed, but I felt very sad. Like because no matter where I go, I wasn't allowed to be myself and express myself the way. I feel comfortable in the way I would have liked to. And what else did the young people that you spoke to say that they'd been told was caused by demonic possession? About 10 people said they'd heard it was the cause of some kind of mental illness. So I spoke to this one woman who we're calling Julie, who told me that a few years ago, back when she was 19, she confided in a church official that she was having vivid suicidal thoughts. She said the official told her that that was due to having a demon inside her and told her to come to Friday services. So Julie told me that she'd only told that one assistant and she thought it was a private conversation. 
But then, according to her, it was a different official that came up this later time to perform the deliverance prayers. And she was shocked that this person seemed to know all of the details of what she'd told the other assistant. They come up to you and they put your ha- their hands on your the top of your head and they start whispering, being like, the demon that's working in her for this, making her have suicidal thoughts, get out of her, burn, 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 fire, 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 release the demon that's working inside her that's making her have all these suicidal thoughts, these sleep, insomnia, get out of her. And in my mind, I'm thinking it's making me anxious and it's making me like just frightened just because I'm like, how do they know this? Like, and I just felt violated because it was like something I privately, I told one assistant and I wasn't expecting other people to know. They should help you seek out help from professionals because they're not professionals themselves. So these deliverance prayers were something that a lot of the young people you talked to brought up as being a really traumatic dimension of life in the church. What else did people talk to you about? A lot of people talked about this pressure to donate and give money in general. Um, So, you know, like a lot of churches, these KG asks for tithe, which is 10% of any income. Um, For young people, that means, you know, 10% of their pocket money, 10% of their lunch money, some of them said. Um, So, you know, they talked about kind of skimming some of that off whenever they would get it. But there's also this quite specific thing that the UCKG does, which is called the Campaign of Israel. That happens twice a year. And it's this big push for people to give large donations, big personal sacrifices in return for really big blessings. Be inspired special. So there's testimonial videos, these really slick videos that are brought out and they're shown both online, but also in the VYG meetings and in services. And some of those from this past year show, you know, quite dramatic stories of people whose lives were were really on the rocks and then they gave big things. There was a campaign that happened and the Lord asked me for the money that I was going to use to renew my visa to remain in the country. And I was like, arguing with God, I was like, no, you have to ask for something else. It can't be this because if I give you this, then I'm gonna be illegal in the country. They're gonna ask me to leave. My life is gonna go back to where it's coming from. You can't want this. The very last kind of physical Xbox game that they had that they needed to sell to give money to their family for food. Like a challenge. I remember I had nothing because I was homeless, I was unemployed. And I remember I came I came to the service. I had no intentions of, of being involved in a campaign. And then God spoke to me. I remember I had, had a Xbox game and basically I had to sell this Xbox game. And I remember I was unemployed for like two years. And I had to sell this game after the service to basically to provide dinner for my family and God was asking me for it and I was just like this is dinner for my family my mom's gonna kill me but then I, I went and done it this is or in one instance a woman who said she emptied out all of her accounts sold all her furniture sold all her children's toys and then in each instance the story ends with 
the person getting everything they dreamed of. I'm extremely happy. My children are happy. We can go anywhere we want. We can eat whatever we want. Years, years of no's, no's, no's. I believe it was the next month I got a job in the city. Someone with a criminal record. He worked it out where I was able to receive money, to renew my visa, receive it back, and everything worked out perfectly. So the young people I spoke to said just hearing those testimonies that are both presented as videos, but also people giving live examples of what happened to them really struck a chord with them and meant that they thought that was the what they needed to do to to see results. So that's from the UCKG's own videos that they showed their members. What about the young people that you spoke to? What kinds of things did they tell you that they gave up? So one woman told me that as a teenager, she was in foster care. So I remember going to my foster mom and I was like, you know, the money that you've been saving for me from the local authority, I want to put it on the altar, I want to give it to God. Now, at the time, I had a laptop from the local authority. So that wasn't for me to do my coursework in school, Mm. my GCPs. And um, I ended up selling that. I heard people telling me they'd sold their iPads, their phones, their clothes. It became a time, one of the lowest points in my life was Mm. when I didn't have proper shoes for winter. And I remember it was snowing and I was wearing... um, just normal summer shoes to mm. school. In one instance, um, a teenager got in trouble because she sold her sister's Ugg boots. I think one day she just asked me, she was like, oh, that, do you still wear them? And I was like, oh, like, no, I don't have them anymore. She was like, where are they? And I was like, well, I, I sold them for the campaign. Mm. And then she just kind of shook her head and just looked at me in such, like, Mm. And, yeah, you know, people just kind of raiding their, their wardrobes and their bedrooms to find things to give. I was just like in a low point of my life and I was just like, yeah, I want my life to change. So mm. I decided to like sell all my clothes, all my shoes, my laptop, my iPad. And my mum was thinking like, what the hell, what are you doing? I even sold my phone. So mm-hmm. I'm just left with nothing. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking, OK, cool. So... Are the results going to happen whatsoever, but nothing happened. And in some instances, family members, grandparents, parents got involved at the last minute and said, hang on, you can't be doing this. But what some people told me was that the church would say, don't tell people what you're giving. We were told not to tell our parents. You know what I mean? We were told not to tell our parents what we're doing because they're not in the same faith. They won't understand the devil. We use them, block our blessing. Oh, yeah, we were told all of this. So none of my family knew what was happening mm. until my dad asked me, where's the £50 that my friend gave you? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I, I sacrificed it. what you've described sounds like a lot of people, some of them in pretty desperate circumstances, making massive sacrifices, like almost selling the shirts off their back. And it suggests that they can't actually afford it and it might have devastating consequences for them. How does the church itself justify that? So, of course, the church doesn't put a gun to anyone's head. In fact, it says taking part in the campaign of Israel should be your own choice, that there's no kind of set amount that you have to give, that that's a personal um, donation. You know, it's a personal decision that you need to make. The church says that they believe that this is one way to show your commitment to God and that you will get blessings in return. Now, some of those young people said that, you know, when the blessings didn't happen, when their lives didn't get miraculously better, the messaging that they got was that, 
you haven't given enough or you haven't truly believed and if you do this again next time then it'll get better so there was always a kind of excuse as to why things might not be improving why the results might not be immediate according to the young people so there was always this sense that you need to try again do we know how the church is doing financially so according to the church's accounts here in the UK, they bring in about £14 million a year in income. The majority of that is from donations or from gift aid on those donations. And those accounts say that the vast majority goes on charitable activities. They have things like a, a help centre where people can ring up to get advice or they run soup kitchens or food banks. We did hear, though, that those soup kitchens and food banks are also supported by grants from local authorities and the young people I spoke to said that often the volunteers or congregation would give the donations to stock those. But what we do know is that according to the accounts, the church has a lot of money in the bank here in the UK. They've got about 12 to 14 million pounds, depending on which year you look at. And that's much more than they say they need to keep back for reserves. Maeve, earlier you mentioned that the church was founded by a billionaire Brazilian pastor called Edir Macedo. Now, he's appeared on Forbes' billionaires list a number of times. They describe him as among the richest religious leaders in the world and a Brazilian media mogul. Now, it is hard not to notice the optics here of teenagers giving away money that they don't necessarily have, a church with millions in its accounts, and a leader who appears to be super rich. Yeah, that's definitely something that a lot of people I spoke to brought up. And, you know, the the church used donations from the congregation all around the world to build this huge temple in Brazil. It's apparently even bigger than the Christ the Redeemer statue. And at least twice this year, I've heard that Macedo, the, the top bishop, has flown into the UK on a private jet owned by the church and it flies all around the world. And then meanwhile, young people from from generally quite economically disadvantaged areas, like you say, are, you know, selling the shirts off their back virtually to donate to the church. <laughs> they're in Brixton, Peckham, uh, you know, in Hackney, but everywhere where there's impoverished black people, you will not find a UCKG in Chelsea, Knightsbridge, Westminster, no such thing. They're in the high streets. They're where people are suffering. You know, you take part in Campaign of Israel's to be blessed in your financial life. Where's your private jet? Where's your helicopter? You know, where are these things for you? Because it seems to be working great for him, but for the members, not so much. Did any of the young people that you spoke to find that they had the results that they were being promised? Did anyone actually recoup the money and donations back in blessings? No, uh, none of them said that they'd had any great blessings in return. Uh, and actually, a lot of them said that their lives had only got better once they left the church and once they'd had a bit of critical distance and could see what had happened. And actually, you know, some of them talked about it being quite a, a traumatising experience. In fact, five people suggested that they were now in therapy because, at least in part, because of some of the things they'd experienced while at the UCKG. Maeve, why did people stay in the church? What did they tell you about why they were so committed? It's a good question and it's one that I asked a lot of the young people that I spoke to because they would reel off these examples of stressful situations and I would ask them, you know, no, nobody was forcing you to go. Why would you keep going back? 
And the answer I got invariably was this sense of fear of what would happen if they left. What if you had a friend who died without knowing Jesus as their personal savior? What if he or she went to hell? What if one day I remember in the youth group they played this recording. A letter from hell. A letter from your friend in the flames of eternal torment. And it was a recording um, of someone who, I think it was an American guy who made this video in which he was telling, us, telling his friend, you know, why didn't you tell me about God? Now I'm in hell burning. I can feel my heart pounding in my chest. The angels who have been chosen to cast me into hell are coming down the hallway. I can hear their footsteps. I've heard of this hell, Zach. They call it the lake of fire. I can't stand it, Zach. And it was a graphic audio in which you kind of hear burning and screaming and it was really, really, really dramatic. And they used to play that with the lights off. They're grabbing me and carrying me out of the room. I can already smell the burning sulfur and breath. They used to turn off the lights in the church and play that really loud. And they would do that quite often. And then they would say things like, you see, if you don't take God seriously and attend church and do this, and you was to die, you would go to hell. A lot of young people described being shown videos or being told stories, testimonies of people that had left the church who had had really terrible things happen to them. So multiple people just independently brought up this one video of an ex-official in Brazil, I believe it was, who had been in a terrible motorbike crash and whose heart was outside their body on the ground. And they said this was shown to them as an example of this is what happens if you leave the church, if you turn your back on the UCKG. Ultimately, as we know, Rachel did leave the church. How did that happen? So Rachel and her husband, uh, they got married, they had a legal ceremony and then they consummated the marriage, but they didn't wait for the church service. And she says that when the officials found out about this, they weren't happy. Um, and, and she says that, that she was put down, which is a the language they use, which means demoted from an assistant back into the congregation. And, you know, that had a real impact. She said, you know, others and others have said the same because suddenly you're you're not in your uniform. You're not stood up the side. You're not taking part in all those kind of official tasks you were before. So it becomes really obvious that, that you've done something wrong in the eyes of the church. And she said that that process kind of started her questioning all the rest of her experience there. And she left. Um, she says that when she left, she felt that she was really cut off that she was completely shunned by former friends that were there according to her um and she says that is because she was now considered worldly um apparently worldly is what the church calls anybody not in the faith and there's very much a, a kind of negative connotation attached to those who are worldly so former members told me that young people are told you know don't don't associate with people who are worldly cut off people who don't believe in the church who aren't part of the church uh, that they're a bad influence for you Coming up, Rachel speaks out.
So Rachel left the church in 2013 and she says it took years and years for her to process what she says happened to her. I collected so much trauma. It was hidden inside of me and there'll be times when something would happen and I'll be triggered and I'll remember and I'll be like, wow, this is really bad. And I remember... And occasionally she would bump into other people who had left the church and they would share stories. So I was speaking to a friend and we were really just kind of speaking about everything and we were jogging each other's memory and we were really getting into it. And I'm like, we need to go on Instagram. Like, we need to do an Instagram Live and we need to speak on this. Hey, people, I just wanted to put a message out there. Now, this movement, Surviving UCKG, is not an attack on Christianity. It's not an attack on God. It's not an attack on Jesus or on the Bible. This movement is about exposing the UCKG. We went live and we shared experiences and people were commenting, people were sharing. And the rest is history. We want this platform to be open to as many voices as possible. So keep speaking out, keep raising awareness and keep talking your truth. So Rachel says the more she spoke to other people who were saying that that they had had similar experiences, the more she realised that there needed to be like a public debate about this. And so she started inviting people onto her Instagram lives and they had these these live videos where they would discuss personal stories that, that, that they said happened to them. And then more and more people would pop up in the comments and people would be DMing her. And she said at one point she was getting almost five DMs a day. You know, so she's got this inbox full of people, not not just in the UK, but from places all around the world saying, oh, that really resonated. Something similar happened to me. It was people saying, I'm so glad you're speaking about this. I was waiting for someone to speak about it and to bring attention to this. So what happened after Rachel started posting and collecting all of these testimonies and making them available to see and watch online? What happened to her then? So I think she thought that the church would sit up and notice and that would be some kind of official response. You know, some of these are quite serious allegations. And the fact that there were so many people apparently saying them and some of her videos have gone viral, you know, like well over... 100,000 views. So she was kind of expecting there would be some response. But she says there's been no kind of public response or, or reaction from the church at all. There was no sense that they'd taken any notice. And then one day she heard this audio recording. The situation has, it has gone viral. Which appears to be from a Victory Youth Group meeting, this gathering where they had various different branches all come together. And the lead pastor of the Victory Youth Group appears to be speaking about what former members had been saying on social media. They left because they sinned. And what he does is say that the people that are speaking out are fallen people. They're people that have sinned and that's why they're saying these things. What does it say the you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, safe. This is what we're doing here today. We're showing you the reality. What was going through your mind when you heard that for the first time? Wow, I still remember the way I had butterflies, I felt sick. I was literally shaking when someone sent it to me and my heart was beating. There were times when I wanted to cry. You know, I felt angry. I felt sad. I went through so many different emotions. You know, it's, it's horrible. It was, it was absolutely horrible. 
When we speak about, for example, some one of the things that they they've been touching on, or, or we've been hearing, is oh, in the VYG, in the church, you have no personal life. You're you're told what to do. You can't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Well, what a lie. Is anyone forced to be here? No. I'm not. You can interact with me. Are you forced to be here? No. You're here because you chose to be here. Not long after hearing that recording, Rachel decided she wanted to do more. So she decided to join this existing protest that was happening in Brixton. I made banners the night before. I was absolutely bricking it, literally. Even the week before, I was like, let me cancel. Let me just, I'm not ready. It's too much too soon. But then I said, you know what? I can't not use this opportunity, you know. Let's go now. Let's show them that we're not just on Instagram or TikTok. We're in person and we're not going to let this go. I'm here on the behalf of the Surviving Universal UK movement. It's a movement to raise awareness about the atrocities of the UCKG Health Centre. I gave my speech outside of the um, outside of the town hall and I was saying, you know, what's been going on and that kind of really just pumped me up. Then Rachel and some other former members marched up the street and towards the local branch of the church. As we was marching there, you know, a part of me felt like that 15-year-old and I felt scared, you know, because this was the first time I was physically confronting them. As we approach, we're, we're chanting, you know, we're calling them out and um, they come out and then there's one assistant. She looks me in my face because I have the megaphone at this point. She's like, what do you want? So what do you want? Like, what are you talking about? And we're like, what do you mean? What do you mean what we're talking about? We want justice, we want accountability, we want you to stop traumatising our children. So when Rachel stood outside that branch of the UCKG, what she was asking for was accountability. And is that actually something she can get? I mean, who is a church like the UCKG accountable to? Who regulates this kind of thing? So the church is technically a charity here in the UK. So there's a charity commission. And we found out through a freedom of information request that there had actually been eight complaints about the UCKG back in 2020 and 2021 to the charity commission. And three of those related to the treatment of, quote, vulnerable beneficiaries. But the charity commission told us they'd looked into it and that the complaints back in 2020 and 2021 at least didn't warrant a statutory investigation, but that they did provide advice to the church's trustees. But that left Rachel and some of the others I spoke to feeling like no one was really listening. Maeve. There might be some people who listen to this and are really shocked by what they're hearing. But to play devil's advocate, some people might ask, fundamentally, what's the difference between what you're describing and other religions in general that involve asking their followers to donate money or to make sacrifices? There might even be some people, including the church themselves, who say, look, this place isn't perfect, but it does a lot of good in society. And overall, it's a force for good in the world. What would you say to that? And what would the people you spoke to say to that? So I think, yeah, it, it's right. The church does do a lot of charitable works. They have food banks, soup kitchens. They help people experiencing homelessness, people in prison. 
And a lot of the young people I spoke to said there were some positives. You know, initially when they started at the VYG, they felt it was a, a warm place to be. They made friends and there were activities that were interesting. But, you know, they, they then went on to talk about all of the kind of negative things. And in the minds of the people I spoke to, at least, those far outweighed the positives as they saw them. And I think one of the things I, I really found doing this research is really just how little scrutiny there is of churches and religious practices here in the UK, you know, especially when they involve young people. So you could argue that, you know, having a conversation about the things that, that you're raising, machine, you know, whether people agree or completely disagree with it, we need to have that conversation, that we should be talking about it. And I mean, Rachel said to me that, that she thinks the reason maybe that that conversation isn't being had is because the majority of people at the UCKG in the VYG are, are black teenagers. We feel as though, you know, if it was a group of white people, the attention would be there. I feel as though no one cares. You know, oh, it's just black people. What good? At least they're not in gangs. I mean, to the point that the UCKG are doing good in the world, that's clearly true. But at the same time, when you have many young people saying pretty much the same thing, that they don't think what happened to them is right, that, that they really wish that they'd been told a bit more about what it was really like, how intense it was in the VYG before they started... You know, for me, that was a really eye-opening moment. And, I, you know, I actually put the idea that, that you mentioned to Rachel, the idea that maybe on balance the church is, is doing good in the world and it's a force for good. And she told me that that doesn't negate what she says she and others have experienced. It just doesn't tally up with the things that she saw there. It can't be a positive place if people's feeling like they have to be there every day. They have to give a financial offering. They can't express their true sexuality. It's just not a healthy environment. It's toxic. That was Rachel talking to Maeve McLennigan. The UCKG responded to The Guardian's questions, saying it took allegations and complaints very seriously but that the complaints had not been raised directly with it. They said, We are aware that, regrettably, some former members promote hatred against the church on social media and vilify its beliefs and practices. Our many current members appreciate the church and the good work it does and would tell a different story. UCKG told The Guardian no one was obliged or pressured to give and that it does not keep a record of tithers or in any way control who gives and who does not. The church said no prayer, strong or otherwise, is ever promoted as a replacement for medical or any other professional help, and added it had a safeguarding team to help with referrals. UCKG UK told The Guardian that if any gender issues are brought to our attention, we advise people to pray and seek guidance from the word of God. The church also said, we take allegations and complaints very seriously, but that without specific details, it could only respond to The Guardian's questions in general terms. You can read Maeve's piece exposed to horrendous things young people in UK speak out against evangelical church at theguardian.com. Finally, this week's Politics Weekly America is marking 10 years since the Sandy Hook Elementary School mass shooting. The Guardian's Joan E. Grieve travelled to Newtown, Connecticut to speak with parents of children who were killed that day and to Senator Chris Murphy, who helped draft the first significant gun control policy in the US in 30 years. Find that wherever you listen to Today in Focus. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Joshua Kelly. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. 
The executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. 